This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle Earth. shall answer. Amandine. Welcome to Light the Beacons, Lotra podcast focusing on the sparkling MMORPG Lord of the Rings Online, as well as related topics in books, movies, gaming, and the lore of J.A.R.R. Tolkien. This is episode number 12, and I'm your host, Brag of the Lonely Mountain, battered, bruised, and contused, and dwarf of ill repute. This episode is a special milestone for me, as I promised myself that if I ever made it to a full dozen episodes, I would actually take a bath. And I'm not talking about just pouring a flagon of ale over my head. We're talking soap, water, the whole deal. Now, some of the viewers out there, you know who you are, even if you don't know what you are. The viewers are probably aware that my tunics have been getting a mite crusty, and the flies buzzing about are not just due to the orc heads on a pike on the back of my war steed. It's been a dirty dozen, if ever there was one. But the time has come, and so standing next to the swan fountain in Dol Amroth, I am taking the Nesty Plunge. Ah, that was refreshing. <laughs> Not sure why the swans are fainting, but uh, be that as it may. Um... Properly refreshed, it's time to start the broadcast. Some of you may notice that my no, my voice is a little bit on edge. I uh, was playing the game of golf in the Shire this weekend with some friends uh, when uh, a particular friend of mine actually hit the head of golfing ball uh, directly into a hole uh, on his very first shot. And it was very exciting for the group that we were playing with. We all screamed at the tops of our lungs, uh, danced around in happy hobbit dances, and I lost my voice. Um, unfortunately, it was not me that hit the hole in one, but there is hope for us duffers out there. Enough with the, the preliminaries. Let us move on to our second beacon. Ilenoch. Okay, first it's time for our CRA. Corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So I want to send a shout-out to Independent George after I stole one of his catchphrases last week. Hopefully, Elaine found it sponge-worthy. Aside from that, no apologies from this proud dwarf. Uh, we do have some viewer comments, though. Uh, first viewer, Tommy Yorick, uh, wanted to wish me congratulations on the acquisition of my first ager. He said he's been working on one himself, and he had a tip to send in for the players out there. Um, as, uh, as I demonstrated during my first age crafting demonstration, uh, the marks and medallions for Scrolls of Empowerment, as well as the Scrolls of Delving, can get rather expensive in terms of marks and medallions. 
Um, Tommy Ark wanted to point out that the quartermaster in Dal Amroth sells um, scrolls of delving for 40 silver uh, Dal Amroth tokens and 10 gold coins. And uh, 30 silver and 10 gold get you a scroll of empowerment. Now, many of you may be saving those tokens up for other things that the barter vendors have available. Uh, but I think it is likely that you might want to consider a mix of the two. Uh, maybe some marks and medallions, maybe some tokens, uh, so you're not whittling down either pile too egregiously. That's probably what I'm going to focus on myself. So um, thank you, Tommy Ark, for the for the uh, tip. And uh, we also had a message that came in from Ethelrose. Ethelrose said, Good episode, Bragg. The duality of a gaming topic is quite interesting. Personally, though, I'm still at the young age where I'm expected to do stupid, time-wasting things. I tend not to worry about perceptions of me as a gamer, although naturally I also don't make it a front and center defining trait. For example, with relevant job applications, I will use my participation on the Lotro Player site as helping to manage a news-based website by writing articles and finding sources of information. The fact that many people are still, shall we say, uptight about the gaming culture means it's just simpler not to mention the little detail of said, of said news before being gaming-related unless I'm asked about it. So this is an uh, interesting point by Ethel Rose that I didn't really bring up during the conversation. Uh, certainly, my viewpoints uh, from last week uh, regarding mixing your gaming persona versus your real-life persona, whether personal or professional, are shaped by my demographic and may or may not be shared from those at different stages of their life journey, so to speak. Uh, one thing that w I would encourage others to remember, though, is that um, your digital footprint may be with you for life. Matter of fact, you should probably bank on it being with you for life. When I speak to those of a younger persuasion about the pitfalls of an online presence, I encourage them to think before they post um, and not to ever post anything online that they might not want others reading 20, 30, or even 42 years from now, um, including uh, you know, perhaps their kids, uh, you know, professional business associates, etc. Anything that's out there is fair game forever. That's the digital age that we live in. So, uh, again, once you uh, start crossing streams, there's no going back. But um, a very valid point by Ethel Rose. Um, you know, your mileage may vary and uh, your situation uh, may differ depending on your profession, your social um, interactions, your stage of life, etc. So thanks for writing in, Ethel Rose. Appreciate it. Looking forward to speaking with you uh, in this upcoming week. A little more about that later. So in this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what I've been doing in game. Uh, we're going to have a Lotro Quest highlight that harkens back to the Kingdom of Arthedain. We're going to review a pair of top ten lists pertaining to memorable Lotro landscape mobs. And lastly, if there's any time remaining, we will talk to Lindsay Buckingham of Fleetwood Mac. Yes, uh, I am beating this joke to a bloody pulp, um, at least until it ceases to amuse me. Uh, so, what did the Bjorning say to the Loremaster pet? Bear with me. <laughs> As always, there's much to talk about, so let's light our third beacon. Nardal. 
Okay, so this week in Lotro and other Tolkien news. Um, before we got into the in-game footage, thought I'd explore the other side of the podcast a little bit and talk about the uh, announcement that came out this week about the Hobbit Extended Edition, which is coming. I think I saw that there was uh, approximately 26 minutes of additional footage that uh, would be coming in this release. And this is something that I think is unique to Peter Jackson's uh, movies and his extended editions. You know, a lot of the movies out there will have, you know, included, you know, director's cuts or extended editions or, you know, the the body, um, you know, comedy romps will have the, the more outrageous material that would have earned them an R rating or even the more violent or graphic material from a horror standpoint that would have earned them an R rating and limited their audience. But, you know, generally we're talking about, you know, a couple scenes, five, ten minutes tops. And I think, um, you know, the appetite for the uh, Tolkien and Lord of the Rings enthusiasts is such that Jackson knows however many minutes he puts out there, they're going to be people that are going to want to see it uh, as long as it's of good quality. And generally speaking in the past, I have thought that the extended editions did add scenes which, um, you know, may not have been required from an exposition standpoint for the story, but were, um, you know, enriched uh, the overall, uh, you know, the overall tableau or the, the overall impressions and reinforcement of the world of Middle-earth and the characters. So I am looking forward to the extra footage, and um, I think the extra minutes that I've seen in the previous movies has been done to good advantage. Of course, I made the rookie mistake, you think I'd know by now, of buying the Desolation of Smog as it came out for my young hobbits um, <laughs> prior to waiting for the extended edition. Uh, it just happened to be an occasion that the family uh, would have enjoyed watching the movies, and so I'm sure that I'll be owning two versions of this uh, sometime in the near future. Will I never learn? Uh, well, I'm certain Warner Brothers is hoping I won't. So, um, in addition to all the extra footage that fans have come to expect, Jackson is acknowledged for b being one of the best at doing, uh, you know, the additional appendices on the discs uh, to, uh, you know, a higher level than most other directors have done as well. I think that's in the planning for it before the movie's even launched. He's learned, um, you know, that lesson through the Lord of the Rings movies as well. So, um the extended edition is due out just before the final installment of uh, the Battle of Five Armies, uh, which I think is you know, mid-December. So I think the extended edition is due late November, early December. And an additional extended clip was made available this past week, which I checked out online. Um, and it details the crossing of the Enchanted Stream in the middle of Mirkwood. This was something that I definitely missed in the initial version. I thought it was an interesting detail that would have been fun to have been represented. So I'm glad to hear that they did actually film it. Um, too bad it uh, did made the cutting room floor. But um, as I watched the video, uh, I noticed that they uh, they use vines to cross the the stream instead of the in the books. I believe there's a boat that Bilbo spies across the um, across the river. And they managed to snag it with uh, arrows and rope and tug it back across uh, because the rope is not tied too tightly. And um, so they, they do several crossings by boat. Um, so in the version that I saw, the, the dwarves and Bilbo cross the, uh, cross the stream by clinging to vines. So even in an extended edition clip, we see lore breaking. <laughs> uh, but it does uh, kind of have an interesting, uh, you know, fun aspect to it with all the dwarves 
climbing all over each other and shimmying up and down the vines and so forth probably is a more exciting way to shoot the crossing. Um, I did not see any reference to the shooting, the shot they took at the majestic stag that leaps across the river, I believe, if I remember the books correctly at that part. Uh, the stag that's part of the Elven King's hunt. Um, so interesting to see if that perhaps makes it to the final uh, edition as well. Trying to think off just off the top of my head of additional scenes that I was hoping they might um, introduce uh, through the through the extended edition. I know that uh, one that comes to mind is that I believe Bilbo on his way up to uh, the Lonely Mountain meets the raven uh, whose name escapes me now, something like Karok. Uh, they could still add that to the third film, but I thought the initial meeting was um, and the story of the, the bond between the uh, between the ravens and the people of Lake Town and, um, and Dale uh, was uh, talked about on the way up the mountain before they met Smog, so uh, to pre-shadow that uh, involvement a little bit later. Um, so I think that will be interesting to see if perhaps that's added in. Uh, there's other pieces I can't think of right now. Um, so I guess my question is, are you looking forward to the last installment in the movies? I've seen you know, a lot of people that are excited about it. I've seen a lot of critics you know, comparing them to the original Lord of the Rings movies and saying they're falling short. Um, I'm not as down on it as others have been. Is it as good as the first three movies, Lord of the Rings? Of course not. The series suffers from the weight of expectations and uh, somewhat from the variations made to uh, project it into three movies when I think it would have been perfect as two. But between Smog's assault on Lake Town, the clash between the White Council and the Necromancer in Mirkwood, and the Battle of Five Armies, there'll be plenty of eye candy. Um, and that being said, to me, the heart of the movie will remain, or should remain, the final scene between Thorin and Bilbo. Um, spoiler alert uh, for those of you out there who have not read the book. Um, but from the comments I've seen from the directors, they seem to get that. Uh, basically, I've commented on other blogs that uh, if there's a dry eye in the house after that scene, that they haven't done their job correctly. But I do uh, have hopes that they're going to get that right, and that'll be an important towards establishing you know, the heart of the movie and the character's evolution through, through all the films. So I'm really uh, you know, hoping that they have the right tone for that. Um, also, I have seen comments from, I think it's Philippa Boyens that said they promised not to have, you know, six endings to this trilogy. So I think they've learned something from, uh, you know, from the reviews of The Return of the King. Even the uh, Lord of the Rings purists, uh, you know, there's there comes a, a time when the pacing of the movie is more important than including every last detail in some cases. I think, uh, you know, that original Return of the King ending would have been well served to have been a montage uh, for large portions of it. So anyway, um, I am looking forward to the last installment of the movie. Uh, when it comes out, I'll render my thoughts. Until then, if you can think of other uh, deleted scenes or scenes that were missing from the second part of the movie that you would like to have seen uh, and hope are in the extended edition, drop me a note, let me know. Okay, so what have I been doing in-game this week? Well, first of all, my champion is languishing in the North Downs. Was not able to log in on him this week. Um, so nothing to report there from a questing perspective. But uh, he 
she did inspire our Lotros Quest highlight this week, which we'll discuss a bit later. Um, mostly, I've been only playing Brag um, this past week, uh, which means I've been doing dailies, dailies, dailies. So I wanted to get a head start in the dailies and understand the system and what I'm trying to accomplish and how long it might take. So um, I've been doing mostly dailies. You know, Typically, when I get to this part of an end game, uh, my first character through, I'll run dailies and then I'll keep an eye out in the chat if something else comes up that one of my other characters might be interested in doing. Um, or I'll start a second character on the epic quest line to catch them up and get them to the level cap as well. So I'd say I'm pretty ready to start on another character's journey to level 100. Uh, so expect, uh, hopefully, to get some game time in this week regarding that. But in the meantime, Bragg's been doing dailies, dailies, dailies. And I'd say, um, you know, not tired of them so far because most of them are still pretty new. I'm somewhere about, uh, you know, a third or halfway to acquaintance in all of the Dol Amroth areas except for Library, which is, of course, full. It fills as part of the um, introduction to the area. And the Masons and Swan Knights, uh, which have not been started. So I have not read up on this, so I'm going to guess. I'm going to make a bunch of educated guesses here, and we'll see how they turn out. Uh, I assume that the Masons and the Swan Knights are two uh, reputation factions, which open up later, perhaps after your, either after your kindred to Dol Amroth or after your uh, acquaintance with all the different Dol Amroth factions. Um, so right now I'm a shade from being kindred to Dol Amroth overall, so should have that by next week uh, without a problem. So I'll be able to tell you if that is the, um, the trigger um, or if they're linked to the server-wide goals that are out there, Aaron Emil or um, Pass of the Dead. Or if by chance, as I mentioned, they might open up when you're acquaintance with all the different factions. So we'll see one of those three, which of those three is correct. I'm kind of guessing that it's tied to um, one of the first two, either being Kinred overall to Dal Amroth or being acquaintance in all the different factions. So we'll see. Um, my library, I believe acquaintance is the highest uh, level of faction reputation for the different areas in Dal Amroth. I'm guessing that because... My library faction is at acquaintance, and it did not open up to another tier, i.e. to get to, um, you know, friend, ally, or kindred. So perhaps that's max for the Dol Amroth groups. Uh, we'll see. Uh, on Vilya, our server-wide unlocks uh, stand are, are progressing. Um, Emin Ernul, uh, which is the cave east of Dol Amroth on the hill, uh, has a little over 5k out of the 8k total required to unlock it, so that's about 65% of the way there, close to that. And the Pass of the Dead is, uh, we've got a little over 4k out of the 12k required, so about 35% of the way there. So I assume when Emin Ernal is opened up, probably I'm guessing, you know, maybe next week by the time the broadcast comes around, but pro probably definitely within two weeks, then... Uh, the Pass of the Dead will probably accelerate as well because all the tokens will be focused to that one. So my best guess right now is uh, you know, two weeks for Ammon Ernal and perhaps Pass of the Dead within the month. So we'll be looking at kind of mid-September-ish. Very much looking forward to getting into the second area of the Pass of the Dead uh, based on the glimpse you got from the epic story. Um, also looking at the quests available from the different faction groups around... It looks like they might unlock in groups, as I see 
say, 12 quest types in a deed, um, and you know I've only seen the same four available thus far as I'm walking around and looking at the vendors that are available. So, um, unless the random rotation, unless the rotation is random um, and it's either bugged or uh, you know improbable. <laughs> That the, you know, either bugged that they're not changing, or it's improbable that a, the RNG is turning up the same quests every day. Uh, what I'm guessing is the additional quests for each faction will open up when you get to acquaintance status. So uh, those should start coming in by next week for me, and I'll be able to tell you. Um, I now also see that essences and armor pieces by class need different token types, as well as silver and gold tokens in general. So. Uh, for each, if I go to the Guardian vendor that's uh, that's in Dull Amroth, each different piece of armor I, w I want will require silver and gold tokens and a different type of faction token. Uh, I think that's a good mechanic to make you do all the quests to earn the tokens you might want for all the different pieces. Um, you know, the, the pieces are generally equal to what I have now with addition to the set bonuses. So the set bonuses are actually pretty decent, at least for the guard. Be interested to see what they are in some of the other classes out there, but for the guard, they're probably worth pursuing. Um, and since Bragg is my completionist, I'll be doing all the deeds and Dull Amroth anyway. I'll probably have the tokens to get at least uh, four of the pieces, and I'll have to decide if I want to do um, all six. So I'll take a look at that. Uh, so I assume right now I have a stack of library tokens. It's the only one I have tokens in. So what I believe happens is... Um, that the tokens you receive are tradable for rep, which I've been doing, but once you're a max rep, like I am in the library, they just turn to barter tokens for you. Uh, so I'm guessing that's the case for all the other rep areas as well. Um, it's a shame they can't load the tokens into your barter wallet since there'll be multiple types, so that'll be a bit of a drag, but obviously they would not be tradable then if uh, they were in your barter wallet. and. Having them tradable is a nice, uh, you know, boon to the economy. I have seen lots of trade requests coming out, both for essences and for token types, um, and I think that's uh, good for the overall community. Um, so I would say, you know, from, from an inventory perspective, luckily they gave us at least the option of buying more inventory slots. Um, <laughs> it doesn't seem to matter how many inventory slots I have, they're immediately filled, so... <laughs> Uh, didn't take me long to get used to having uh, addition, you know, the the additional bag slots and and uh, using almost all of them. But um, you know, be that as it may, at least they gave us some extra space for these tokens, and uh, you know, we probably won't need them for too long before we move into the next area. Um, so anyway, let's see how these uh, different task areas develop. Uh, aside from dailies. I also completed the Explorer of Western Gondor deed when I found the Broken Beacon, which is the only one that I had outstanding that I hadn't run into through the course of questing. Um, you know, I think I passed it by a couple times thinking, oh, I went up that one already. It's not broken. It's lit up. It looks just like the other ones. That can't be the Broken Beacon. It's uh, east of Calumbell for those who have not found it. So my question is, what's broken about it? <laughs> the fact that there's, uh, you know... Uh, you know, brigands standing around it. Uh, it's lit. It looks just like the other ones. I don't know if they intended to shear off the tips or something like that or have it, like, destroyed, partially destroyed. But, uh, 
Um, maybe they ran out of time and didn't get a chance to render it in a different graphical style. So my question is, uh, if some of you know what's broken about the broken beacon. <laughs> um, I did, uh, just in the course of grinding around the landscape, found a teal shoulder drop uh, while killing Corsair mobs in Hashadir. Um, so interested to see that there are, are uh, higher quester rewards like a teal piece of armor that are available through landscape. It's not better than what I have right now, but it is different. Um, you know, often, uh, I'm sure you know, you'll find pieces out there that have uh, the same item level. I think it's 182 or 188. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, you know, but have different stats available so you can mix or match. So my question to you is, do you keep multiple armor pieces for different functions? Uh, I do have a couple pieces that I keep typically, at least on my tank. I don't do this with every character. But for my tank, when I'm soloing, I do have pieces that kind of maximize, uh, you know, DPS, that have, um, you know, greater crit rating, um, you know, things like that. Um, whereas, uh, you know, a tanking piece, I'd look for greater block or mitigations or so forth. So I do have pieces that... Uh, you know, um, the DPS one, I look for might or whatever the case may be, in some cases even finesse. Um, so I do keep, you know, kind of two pieces, one for tanking build and one for DPS build on my guard. I don't do that with everybody. Um, so, you know, do you value, one of my questions is, do you value finesse versus some of the other stats that are available? Because typically a DPS-focused piece will often have finesse, and I'm finding that I don't, you know, I think part of the problem is that the finesse statistic is so, uh, what's the term, maybe obfuscated. It's not easy to judge easily the impact it's having on your build versus other stats. Um, you know, you can look at the figure, voice, you know, mouse over and look at the figures and it'll tell you, you know, the percentage uh, that it's impacting versus, you know, on-level mobs. Um but it's it's really hard to kind of compare that to, you know, some of the increases that you might get to something like resistance or tactical mitigation or, um, you know, DPS. Um, so I'm not a min-maxer, clearly. <laughs> I'm sure there's someone with a spreadsheet that's, uh, you know, gone through all the damage outputs and analyzed fights using, um, you know, Lua plugins. I'm just a dwarf, so I don't usually go to that length. But I do find myself at times shying away from pieces that have finesse on it just because it, the benefit is not as clear to me. You know, I'm guessing my finesse in general is pretty average because of that. But if I'm maxing other areas that I know are giving me a benefit, uh, you know, perhaps that's what I prefer. So what else have I been doing? Um, I did go in because someone told me it was possible in chat, or I saw a reference that was possible, and started uh, trying to solo some of the groups in Tarlang's Crown with my guard. Um, and it's definitely possible to move through uh, select groups within that area with a guard. It just takes a while. <laughs> um, but you know, obviously, not all the not all the classes are capable of doing that, so it's kind of a fun challenge. Um, I was able to move through and clear out some of the Tarling's uh, crown quests uh, solo when I couldn't, when a group wasn't available to do it, just uh, to prove that it could be done. Um, I did take down. Normally, I would try to avoid the sorcerers and the trolls. Uh, the sorcerers in the area, I think, have 400k plus morale, and they spawn ghosts every 10 seconds or so, 
or oath breakers or whatever you want to call them, dread mists. And um, I did take down a few of those with uh, one hunter helping with DPS. Um, so kind of two-man sorcerers and trolls in the area, which is good to know you can do if you need to. Um, I also ran Feast of Drakes again. Uh, you may remember last time I mentioned I did it with uh, two hunters, and it was very challenging. Uh, this time ran it with a cappy and a hunter, and it was so much easier. Um, so any type of healing traded class, I imagine, would uh, you know make it feasible. Uh, Loremaster, cappy, even a burglar hitting uh, healing FMs, I would guess, would be cake. Um, you know, like I said, it's doable with DPS classes, but you know, a lot more challenging. So, uh, getting more experience with that short mini three-man. And just in general, getting more and more comfortable navigating Dol Amroth. Not feeling quite like home yet, but I can see a time when it might. So that's what I've been doing in-game. Let's move on to our next beacon. Eralas. Alright, it calls for a shot of ale. Okay, so for the fourth beacon, Eralas, we're going to have uh, another in our ongoing series on Lotro Quest highlights. The quest I have selected for this week's segment is called The Ruins of Arthedain, and it is found in the North Downs. I uh, ran across this quest again, um, venturing through on my champion, uh, trying out the changes in the North Downs region. And, uh, you know, remarked, as I said, uh, as I was found this quest again, and remarked um, that it was perfect to for a spotlight. So, um, as um, some of you may recall, this book is tri triggered by uh, right-clicking on a glowing book that's found in Halbrowd's chamber in uh, Esteldine. And uh, as you do so, you get the following bestowal dialogue. Stamped, stamped across the front of this book is the title of Arthedain and its Settlements. The book's cover is worn as if many hands have held it. It opens easily to a dog-eared page, which reads, In those days, northeastern Arthedain was dominated by five great settlements, known commonly as the Five Towns. These were Henneth Run, south of Fornost, Dwyntham, astride an ancient stream, Carnaglan in the northern hills, Ost Arduline in the Lakelands, and Dolandir, now called Estelden. Amongst the rangers of the North Downs, we encourage our people to visit all five of the towns and discover the locations of their founding stones. It is important to remember who we are. So the quest then directs you to talk to a scholar nearby uh, by the name of Istwinen, who tells you to find the Stone of Dondir, now called Estelden. Um, Dolandir, or Dondir. Here once stood the town, and as you go to find the stone, which is um, in the center uh, center area right near the stable master, uh, it says, Here once stood the town and founding stone of Dolandir in the kingdom of Arthedain, which has passed. In this place was established the refuge of Esteldin by Araswil, son of Arahad, that these lands might never again stand unwatched. Um, so, as you move through the quest, each each stone... You know, Istuinen encourages you to go out and find them, and each stone bears an inscription talking about the kings of the area that built the towns or descriptions of the why the settlements were made there. Uh, one refers to uh, the town being built in 1249 of the Third Age of Middle-earth, uh, so several thousand years before the events in Lord of the Rings. 
Uh, stones are found uh, generally, if you, if you <laughs> spoiler alert, if you want to find them yourself, but in the swamps to the south, kind of east of the Alfern camp, um, there's one west of Orthon's camp, um, you know, just east of the um, river that splits the North Downs in half. Uh, there's one, uh, the Carnoglin Stone is near the area for Dory's Rescue, and there's one in the ruins uh, south of Fornost, kind of near um, Amon Wraith. So, I understand these quests are not for everyone, but if you're doing most of the quests in the zone, you'll see all these areas eventually anyway, so I'd encourage you to pick it up and tick them off as you, as you find them. Um, to me, the important part is the fact that Turbine researched how the map evolved over the course of the Third Age through references uh, probably in the Silmarillion and other of Tolkien's works and built references to the earlier civilizations of the region shows a depth of research and attention to detail I don't believe you'll find in many, many MMOs out there. In, in fact, you won't find it in many books out there. Um, you know, the richness of the lore that comes from building a mythology and linguistic background for your world and its races before you even write the stories that occur there is a key reason in my mind for the long-standing recognition of Lord of the Rings as one of the great, great literary works of the 20th century. So not everyone that plays Lotro will appreciate this depth and many will find it boring. Uh, but for the lore purists that play the game, this quest is a kind of a hidden shining nugget that reinforces the bond between us and Middle-earth, the fictional world that we have come to love. And with that quest highlight, I'm going to move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. Okay, now it's time for a word from our sponsors. This episode of Light the Beacons is brought to you by Barrow Bree. Barrow Bree. If you want a yummy quesadilla before the priest says see ya, try Barrow Brie and your mac and cheese. It makes a hobotami fill up with glee and poison. And by Thornley's Construction Company, when you need it done right, but not right now. Thornley's Construction Company, serving the northern Brie Fields community endlessly for over seven years. That brings us to our sixth beacon of Kalanhad. In Kalanhad this week, I've compiled another of our top ten list segments and that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, two top ten lists, uh, to be exact. The first is the top ten least favorite landscape mobs, for my opinion. And the second is the top ten coolest landscape mobs, in my opinion. So first we're going to start with the least favorite. And I've cheated on each of these and made them you know, about 13 or 14 long. Um... So, uh, first, uh, coming in at, uh, you know, uh, on the list of least favorite landscape mobs, we have Neeker Breakers. Uh, they make annoying screeching noises. Enough said. Uh, second on the list is Cave Claws. Uh, use annoying squeaking noises and add the added uh, inconvenience of them digging into the earth occasionally, just as you're about to kill them, making you stand around and wait for them to reappear to get the final hit. Annoying. Next we have Grodbeg, at least the one that looked like the little pill bugs. Um, the Grodbeg queens and uh, you know warriors, they're kind of cool. I can deal with them. The little the little bugs, you know, I don't feel like I need to kill little bugs, and there's an awful lot of them to kill in Moria. Um, next, uh, snow beasts and Kurgrim, because 
If you're a melee class and you run up to hit a, a snow beast or a Kurgrim with your sword, he'll run backward 20 feet and keep throwing snowballs or rocks at you, and that's annoying. Uh, next on the list, number five, Dread Mists and Dark Waters. Okay, this is, again, the wonderful uh, technique of uh, disappearing so that you just see their glowing eyeballs and kind of phasing out before they decide to come back and try to kill you with that 100 morale points they have left, uh, thus making you sit around. Also, they do, they do that annoying explosion thing, and when I'm on a mini in Fornost, I don't like how they silence me or my captain. Number six, swarms of gnats and limfrain. <laughs> They either, either need to make these mobs of consequence or get rid of them. I love the little thing in chat that says, The Limfrane, notice movement and follow. And then you've lost the Limfrane. Okay, so, you know, gnats following me around, you know, I get it. But uh, still annoying. Number seven, deer. Yes, you, you heard me say it, deer. I hate landscape mobs of deer. So when I'm whacking something with a sword, I don't need it to start bleating out and crying and making me feel bad about killing it. When you get a deer, you know, down low on health, and it starts going, <laughs> okay, it's a cool mechanic that he can actually call for help if anything's close enough by to run over and give him a hand, but most of the time there's nothing by anyway, so it just sounds like he's uh, begging for mercy before you administer the killing stroke. I don't need that kind of guilt in an MMO. Uh, the next is giants. Giants are annoying because they stun you constantly by stepping on your head with giant feet. And you can't usually see most of them during a fight unless you change your viewing angle to the point where, uh, you know, it's kind of skewing everything on the battle. So, you know, most of the time when you're fighting giants, at least as a dwarf, maybe it's not so bad for men or elves, but us hobbits and dwarves got to stare at their uh, at their calves as we're whacking away. Uh, the next, uh, flood lizards. Why do I hate flood lizards? I'm not sure. I don't even know if I have a reason for this one. Just don't like them. Probably because I'm deeding right now for them in the waterworks, which means I have to run the waterworks instance. Even with Slayer deed, accelerators probably another seven or eight times to get enough to get through the deed. That's annoying. Uh, number 10, trees, tree roots, and wood trolls. I'm going to put them all in the same boat. Um, the wood trolls especially look annoying. They do that throwing thing. They kind of run up and whack you with roots and uh, don't like them. The next is Buggins, the wonderful uh, hobbit uh, you know, variation that you'll find in Enidwaith that uh, scream little bugging language things at you. They got those giant glaring eyes and kind of freak you out. Uh, they kind of remind me of the next one on the list. Pale Folk. <laughs> if you run through Karn Doom and, and uh, Urugarth, you've seen plenty of Pale Folk. You know, they blow their little horns and bring their big friends, and they just look freaky. Um, they also somehow make you feel bad for them. They're slaves, but then they attack you. Rather free the slaves, but... If you're going to blow the horn and you're going to whack me with little spears, I'm going to kill you. Next, Morval. Morval are just put me a little ill at ease. You know, at least the ones that are female, there's something like just a little bit hot about them and then a little bit disgusting enough to make you embarrassed that you thought they were hot. So, again, 
that same feeling. And lastly, in the same vein, the Earthkin. <laughs> These guys look like pale folk that have been stretched on racks. And uh, they can't decide if they're good or they're bad, but they have bad grammar. So, Earthquin, Earthkin make the list. You notice these last five, um, you know, they deserve to be in the game. They're all corruptions of uh, actual races in Middle-earth, which is a hallmark of uh, Sauron's, you know, uh, influence. Uh, you know, he doesn't create himself. He creates, uh, you know, corruptions or, um, you know, twisted variations of uh, the real-life races that are out there. So not surprising to see these guys in game, but some of them are a little freaky. All right. So let's go on something more pleasant. The top 10 coolest landscape mobs, in my opinion. Uh, coming in at number one, crawling arms. Crawling arms are just cool. Um, I've heard uh, tale that in Imlad Balcourt there is a giant crawling arm, which I have never witnessed, but at some point I'm going to go over there and search for it because i got to see me that. Um, crawling arms, you know, uh, awesome. And uh, the next on the list is giant leeches. I love the giant leeches in the sewers of Karn Doom. I even like the ones in the um, in the swamp in the Shire. Uh, so, one little known fact, uh, kind of a tidbit that some of you may and some of you may not be aware of, is the swamp in the Shire that has the um, that has the slugs in it. And uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the swamp right now. It's escaping. Rushcock, Rushcock Bog. Um, has a uh, a slug slayer deed for the Shire, and uh, what you may not know is that there's a hidden deed for killing uh, slugs in Karn Doom, but it's it's basically the advanced version of the Rushcock bug, uh, Rushcock bug, slug slayer deed. So um, it won't even open up, and you won't realize it exists until you uh, finish the slayer deed for the slugs in the Rushcock bog in the Shire. So if you run Karn, if you're about to run Karn Doom uh, for the first time on a tune and you've never done it before, I encourage you to go to the Rushcock Bog and finish off your Slug Slayer deed in the Shire to open up the hidden deed for uh, Slug Slaying in Karn Doom. And I believe um, I believe that deed is required to finish off all the Karn Doom deed Slayer deeds uh, that are out there, uh, which is also required to get the um, Shadows of Angmar uh, meta deed done. So uh, there's a little tip for you. At least I believe that was true at one point, unless they've changed it. Okay. Plus, uh, you know, leeches, uh, you know, drop slime and little pools of acid and stuff. Pretty cool. Um, next, giant spiders. This um, Giant spiders are a favorite of mine fighting. Uh, you'll certainly find plenty of those in Angmar, but pretty much in any zone in the game. And uh, my favorite variation are the glass spiders in the Waterworks of Moria. I just think they're cool. Um, I think there are real-life uh, inspirations for those glass spiders as well. Um, the one thing that was a little weird about that when I first encountered them in Moria is my graphic settings didn't really render them accurately. They were either fuzzy or kind of disappeary. And I had to mess with um, the settings in order for them to appear, uh, you know, correctly as they were intended. Okay, uh, world eaters and dark maws, as found in dark delvings, various parts of Moria, uh, the rift, etc. Just think they're cool looking. 
Um, you know, pretty much no basis in Tokane's lore for that, but, uh, you know, sometimes you just need a good monster. All right, number five. One of my favorites on this list are the Ice Giants. I am not talking about the Frost Giants, which you will find in the Misty Mountains. I am talking about the Ice Giants. There's only one region in the game that I'm aware of that has the Ice Giants, and that is in an area called Jutenstaff in the western edge of the Forishell map. And the Ice Giants look different from any other Giants in the game, and as far as I know, there's no other place you find them. Um, so if you haven't seen the Ice Giants there, the next time you're in western Forishell, Hug the mountains, and you'll find some crevices kind of leading cracks through the ice, leading down into some kind of open-air caves, uh, you know, nestled in the foothills of the mountains. And check out the ice giants. Uh, I did notice that the area that they're in, Jotunstath, is very similar to the Norse, myth- Norse mythology references to Jotunheim, uh, which is where the frost giants are that uh, some of you may know from uh, Asgardian lore. Um you know, I think Tolkien often drew from Norse mythology and some of his writing and some of his influences. Um, certainly he was a fan of Beowulf, from what I understand. Okay, uh, next one, fumaroles. Um, the giant kind of volcanic uh, cones that pop up in the Rift of Nurse as well as uh, in Darnagabud and other areas. Uh, I just think fumaroles are cool looking. I uh, like the idea that um, they have you know ancient history behind them uh, in some cases and so forth. Uh, Moria battle trolls are pretty much battle trolls anywhere. Any troll that's loaded down with giant slabs of armor and stuff, cool. Uh, the next one is number eight is Cargool. Love the Cargool. Love the idea of fighting little mini Nazgul's. Uh, the red robes usually look cool. First time I remember really countering these guys was in uh, Mirkwood, in quests in Eastern Mirkwood, just below the fortress there. Uh, but they've appeared in other places in game since. Uh, number nine, Globsnaga anything. Trolls, orcs, spiders, anything with giant fungus-infested red glowing crap growing out of them. Cool. Uh, number ten, Battle Cats. Just like the name Battle Cats. Reminds me of some kind of Saturday morning cartoon when I was growing up. I uh, ran into Battle Cats in the Great River region in the eastern portions near the Brownlands. Um, number 11, the Guaradon. I always thought the Guaradon were cool. First ran into them in uh, Even Dim, the northern portion there. Um, they used to be kind of a, a, a neat little on-level challenge to get to the end area of the Guaradan. It was a little maze to get up to the top of the mountain and complete the quest where you um, find the stone markers. Um, they've simplified the map and made it not as hard. You can just basically almost walk into the outside from now. So not as much fun as it used to be. That was part of the Even Dim remap. But I always thought Guaradan were cool. I especially like the ones in Forishell, the mystic that you talk to on one of the quests there. Uh, They're always usually kind of ice-encrusted. They have wolf pets. Come on. Okay. Number 12, the Drugavar of Enidwaith. Come on. Demon goats? Demon goats with glowing red eyes? Sweet. Love Drugavar. (laughs) I know they stun you. Come on, deal with it. Um, And lastly, in one of the more recent additions, the Bildraug. Um, that you find in the Wadfen in the East End Met. 
Um, so as you burn them down, they grow in size and stature, and and then the final sword slice or hammer, they kind of explode in a giant, you know, gooey acid explosion with fluids flying everywhere. Kasplooey. First time I killed one of those things, I was like, ew, that was disgusting. I'm going to go kill another one. So I like the bile draug. Uh, and just in general, a comment. I think we need more stuff with tentacles. You can never have enough tentacles on monsters in a game. You know, outside of the Watcher, I can't think of any other tentacled monsters in the game. Um, my favorite monster of all time, the giant squid. My favorite animal of all time, actually, the giant squid. So the Watcher is a favorite of mine, but we need to find a way to get some more tentacles in this game. Uh, you'll notice that the top ten favorite mob list did not have any references to the mobs that we found in Gondor. I'd have to say of all the areas of the expansion, this is the one maybe that I've been you know, a little more disappointed with. Uh, the Corsairs are cool. They have some flair. They have some variation. They've got some cool garb. Uh, but uh, aside from that, we could use some more variety in the region. Um, you know, they basically reused a bunch of other mob types that we've seen, out, seen elsewhere um, as far as mountain cats and bears and uh, wolves and wargs and orcs and, um, you know, nothing really new. So would be exciting to see something besides Corsairs to sink our teeth into in the region. And that is the end of that section, which brings us to our seventh and final beacon. Halifirian. That's closing time, gents. Brings us to the end of the 12 days of Christmas. Um, I mean, the 12th episode of Light the Beacons. My apologies to Lindsay Buckingham, beat that joke, that we did not have time to hear from him. But I'm hoping he can join us for the next show. Come on, Lindsay. Don't be mad, Lindsay. Come on. So, I would love to hear your plaudits, feedbacks, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. You can contact me at bragsonofbalan at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for avoidance. On Facebook or Twitter at bragsonofbalan or my website, lightthebeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kindly request you to take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you were very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forego my apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond to them in some way. So I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before, or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your time this week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, son of Balan, signing off. Baruch Kazad! And remember, when the chips are down and you can't find a boar in even dim anywhere, don't despair. Run the North Cotton Farms. Oh, and light the beacons. Take care, guys.